0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Security Squawk podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reg Andre down in Florida, Ryan O'Hara, somewhere in Michigan, Randy Bryan somewhere in Texas. Welcome again to another show. I don't know if this is like 80-something at this point, but um, this is a show where we give you the business of cybersecurity. We break down things that you need to be aware of to protect yourself from cyber criminals and hackers. Whether you own a business, just work in a business, all this stuff is going to impact you. I'm actually talking to somebody right now about a story that they're potentially going to write about that has to do with cyber criminals coming into the home. So, you know, this more and more is going to affect the everyday lives of individuals. I think it's predominantly seen as a business problem right now, but I predict in the future it will not not be just a business problem because businesses are shoring up their defenses and getting better at this through education and information that we give out on this channel among the rest of the cybersecurity community but i think this is really coming coming to the home and we're going to talk about some things today that, that illustrate that we got some hacks over at twitter or at least some data breaches Um, We have some things going on at Twilio that we want to get into today. PayPal and phishing emails, all this stuff is all stuff that consumers deal with and use along with business people. Uh, And then how, you know, hackers are getting around MFA over at Coinbase. These are all topics we're going to dive into today. And I think these are all great topics because they affect more than just businesses uh, in general. Right, guys? So... What are you guys' thoughts on on my intro there? And, and just real quick, go around the horn here. We'll start with Andre. He's at the top right of my screen. What do you think? You think this is coming to a home near you, or you think this is going to be a business problem for the next five to ten years? No, I think it's here, and it's
1: always it's going to be here to stay. Um, these guys. This is a great way to make money for these hackers, and uh, anyway. They can try to figure out. It's not like technology is going away. So as long as technology is here, there's going to be a, a, a means for these hackers to um, to get in. We've been doing this since what? Windows XP, Windows 7, every operating system. You They try to do one new way of, of blocking something and the hackers figure out a, a backdoor.
0: Or so. well, they figure out a new thing to attack, right? Yeah. You know, the, the MO is ransomware and hitting up businesses right now, but... In five years, it could be, you know, basically taking over people's homes and not letting them use their their smart devices. And, you know, know, it's just going to matter of time because the more time, in my mind, the more time that people become used to this smart bulbs and everything just being connected, the more comfortable they're going to become. And then, you know, more people are going to adopt it. Kids that are being born now are going to think, nothing of these things as being security issues. And then, you know, just like it did with businesses, the tsunami is going to hit and they're going to realize that cyber criminals have their sights set on these targets. Randy, what are your thoughts on cyber criminals potentially hitting the home versus? Yeah, I
2: saw, I saw that article also. Um, You know, bottom line is they're going to follow the money and they're not, they can extort a couple hundred thousand out of a business, but they're, highly unlikely to do that from a home. So as long as they can still get the 200000 from the businesses, um, they're less likely to go to the homes. But as it gets harder and harder to get money from businesses because they get protected, they get secure, they're going to follow the money. Um, and, you know, they're going to be able to, like you said, you know, if they could ransom um, your, your smart thermostat, your smart vacuum cleaner, you know, if they could make your vacuum cleaner in the middle of the night, start up and make gargoyle noises out on your house. You know, there's a lot of things they could do. I mean, that's kind of tongue in cheek, but you know, there's a lot of things that they could do. So yeah, definitely it's something to, to be uh, watching for. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time, there's there's not really a, a consumer facing cybersecurity company out there. Um, so as you see the criminals rush to that space, you're going to see cybersecurity companies rush to that space and be able to provide good service for consumers.
3: Yeah. Not, not only is, is there not anybody who's really, uh, you know, attacking that space, but there's not really uh, consumer available tools uh, to help protect them in the first place. But I, I think, you know, in answer to your question, Brian, I, I think it's already happening. Um, I think right now it's, it's not happening where they're the specific target, but they're being used as a means to gather information uh, to be used against businesses. But I, I think this stuff is already going on. I mean, your average home, you, you were bringing up uh iot type devices your average home user doesn't doesn't know to segregate those you know away from the rest of their network so you know they're they're just right for the picking right now
0: so we'll stick with you rye we got our first topic of the show which is twitter confirms zero day use to expose data of 54. million accounts <clears throat> we'll um we'll link uh to these articles on our uh, description in our podcast as well as on social media, so you guys know where they came from. This particular one's coming from Bleeping Computer. W- what's going on here, right a, a Twitter so, zero day? Can let's kind of educate everybody on what the heck that could possibly be first, and then let's dive into what was exposed. What a zero day is? You mean? Well, what, what I mean, look, we think of zero days is mm-hmm. like. An unpatched Windows operating system, or something you know, uh, you know that somebody's taking advantage of. In terms of how can Twitter have a zero day that it can impact me?
3: Any, anything that is built on code can have a zero day. And this, this is why this is so important these days, because things are only getting more and more complicated. So, you know, whereas a simple program uh, 10 years ago uh, may have had, you know, 100, 200 lines of code, you know, the one the, the things that we're dealing with these days, you know, like what Twitter's built, built on, you know, we're talking about millions upon billions of lines of code. So the more code you have the more opportunities you have for vulnerabilities to exist i mean people aren't perfect there's a lot of moving pieces in there the way that that these things happen is people just go through and they find stuff in, in you know legitimate code which is you know a mistake um that happens and with that much code there's there's a lot of opportunity for mistakes uh so a zero day is basically what happens when uh somebody finds one of those vulnerabilities uh and holds on to it before before using it so the 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 public uh at large doesn't know that this exists so it can't be patched yet because nobody knows it's there other than the person using it uh, to attack Um, in this particular case this was a relatively uh tame uh situation uh, where they were basically able to exploit this vulnerability to scrape some information uh, from from Twitter so they were able to use that vulnerability uh, to submit email addresses and phone numbers to verify whether or not they had a Twitter account and receive uh, uh, retrieve the associated account ID so again it doesn't seem like that big of a deal but when you think about it in a bigger picture you know they're able to take this information now and use it in say a phishing campaign uh, so they know that your their, your email address and now they know your Twitter ID you know this is something that you you wouldn't suspect somebody other than Twitter to understand so now all of a sudden they can generate an email you know from you know twitter dot you know are you right we, we talked about this in the, in the green room so you get an email now from twitter.ru you see Twitter you don't see the dot you and they're saying hey you know you, you've got this account ID your password um, uh, needs to be reset click on this and then then there you go so
2: like a uh, real- uh twitter.ru. Right, right.
3: I mean it's it's not hard to spin up a domain that, that you know at a glance looks really, you know, legit especially when it's accompanied with uh, other information that you wouldn't suspect, you know, a random cyber attacker to know. So you see those two things and all of a sudden your 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 mind is calmed at the fact that this is legitimate and you click on it not thinking twice about it.
2: You know, I I definitely want to underscore what you said because any kind of collaborating information that hackers can put together that's going to lower your bar of suspicion and make you make you more likely to click mm-hmm. on something so if they know your username and your email so you know like i get texts all the time not all the time but on a random occasion i get a text from some rando bank well it's not my bank mm-hmm. and i just delete it i know it's not my bank but but that that whole thought there though if you get an email to your actual email that's tied to that Twitter account and your profile's in that Twitter account, you're more likely to to click on it. And there's easy ways to hide the link and make it look where it's literally, you know, Twitter support or whatever. So, and yeah, that, that's, so anytime this kind of stuff happens, you know, it's always a uh, cause for uh, concern. And that's why it's
3: so important too, to, to also secure these, uh, you know, low risk accounts, like your, your social media, you know, people don't think, you know, oh, it's just my Facebook account. I don't need MFA on that. Think about the amount of information somebody can get about you with an account like that that they can then turn around and use to you know, perhaps uh, call your bank and, and, and talk some uh, sales rep or uh, um, customer service rep into resetting your password. So it's, it's important to protect that information.
1: Yeah, and even following up with what you just said, um, in the article it says, while no passwords were exposed in this breach, Twitter is encouraging users to enable two-form fact authentication on their accounts. My question is, why isn't Twitter just doing this? Like it's 2022. Why isn't this just enabled by default? Like spread, send a message starting next week. You're going to do it or else you can't log in. So for me, that, that was interesting.
3: I agree. I think the problem is, is a lot of these companies are more concerned about the customer service aspect of it and not wanting to deal with people uh, who are confused by something like MFA. But you know, I think I think that ship has sailed. We're... we're into a point where, and we're starting to see it more and more where some some companies are forcing that, but I, I think that needs to be adopted across the board.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Love it. So, Randy, we got this thing going on over at Twilio. First, what's Twilio?
2: Uh, so um, Twilio is a, well, a, I guess they're called a communications company, but basically what they've done is they've allowed it, um, like texting, um, phone calls, like they've allowed, they've set up this whole cloud system where you can, you can set up phone numbers and texting and communications like that in a real easy way. They were kind of the first ones to really do this um, and make it, make it easy. So they have a pretty large adoption rate, especially like with marketing companies. A lot of people use them, you know, like if you want to, Have an inbound number so you can test one of your campaigns. You just get a Twilio. You know, it's easy. You already have accounts set up. You just go in, boom, turn it on. Um, so they're the ones who really um really broke the ground here. Um in uh you know, in uh, this space.
0: They're they're magic jack killers.
2: Yeah, basically. I mean, (laughs) but you know, almost everybody I just have to think about that. (laughs) Um and in this uh, in this particular case, there was a uh, basically a schmishing campaign, if you will. Um, that's an SMS phishing campaign where they sent links to the employees, pretending to be the IT department, and got people to click on the links. And next thing you know, uh, a bunch of people gave away their uh, you know their their credentials. Um, yep. Not a sophisticated attack, um, it, you know they usually don't start off sophisticated. Um, and and they, it's funny because we've made the joke like three times today, um, you know, about HP dash, we mentioned that earlier, wow. you know, dash printer or something like that. And then, you know, real dash Twitter, the uh, the text said to go to Twilio dash SSO.com, you know? And so they saw SSO and they're like, Oh yeah, that's security. Boom. You know, good link. Um, and clicked on it. And a ton of people gave away their information and the bad guys were able to get in um, and leak, um, get stuff out. So stuff was uh, breached. Um, We're really waiting on uh, more details to know exactly what was uh, was breached.
3: And and I I believe this was also a situation, too, where they were they used this method to get around MFA by. Uh, when they clicked on that, they were redirected to a page that looked like the page that they would normally have expected so that, that w- they were able to capture that MFA code at the same time.
0: So, yeah, this, this to me is pretty amazing. I kind of said tongue in, ch- tongue in cheek, the, the magic Jack killers simply because magic Jack eventually became a, a tool that a lot of call centers and scammers used and, I think Twilio is kind of following suit for that. They're kind of like the soft phone version of, of Magic Jack, if you're familiar with of all of that and what, what, what that product uh, did. Uh, and essentially, you could plug a phone into the side of your computer and start making phone calls. So, you know, over time, it was, it was uh, marketed as a tool to make long-distance phone calls at a very cost-effective way. Um, But eventually, you know, scammers call centers around the world started using this device to call, you know, their victims and things like that. And I don't think, you know, there are legitimate uses of Twilio, like Randy said. But I also think that Twilio is kind of falling into into that category as well. Um, The other interesting thing that I took out of this is how much these cyber criminals are using Human psychology to figure out what to do next, how to take it to the next level. Because if you're familiar with Twilio, because we are, in order to kind of verify that you're an actual person that can, you know, has an actual phone number, you have to get a text message from Twilio to authorize a number to like call from. So like they're do these criminals are doing the things that you would expect to get from a company like Twilio. It's kind of like part of their process. This is not out of the ordinary. And this is what I want to highlight from this article. This is what cyber criminals are getting really, really good at. Looking at a certain situation, how a company, how maybe your company interfaces with your IT department or your IT support, evaluating that and figuring out are there ways we can manipulate those users to make them think that you know this is coming from the it company and there's nothing suspicious about it because this is the normal way that they that they contact us this is the cat and mouse game that we play because right now most people believe that mfa is kind of like the thing that's going to keep my account protected from cyber criminals. And if they get my password, when we're learning very quickly that cyber criminals are changing up their tactics, and MFA is really becoming something that can be fooled. And a lot of people think it's foolproof and it's not. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. But these are all those things, in my opinion, that we're seeing just the evaluation of how a certain company interacts with his customers and then replicating that as closely as possible to, you know, make these, these attacks successful. So, we
2: good? Yeah. It's, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say that
1: um, this is a perfect example of an article that you can show when you have that CEO, COO, office manager, where they want to have the keys to the kingdom. They want to have the passwords, to the, the, the admin passwords and things like that. This is why you have to be very protective of who has administrator access, who has top level access. And really that account should only be used when you're doing administrative stuff and and just restrict everything
2: else.
0: Great point. Great point.
2: I was just going to add that Twilio owns Authy, uh, which is one of the most popular multi-factor, which is, I would bet as soon as I saw this, um, I would bet that that's their end game. These guys that are trying to breach thats their end game—is to get into Authy, because that w- that is a ex- actually an MFA app, and if they could control those keys, that would be uh, mayhem.
0: Yeah. So one of the things to point out, if you are a Twilio customer and you were uh, part of this breach, you're you've probably gotten an email to reset your credentials, or they reset them for you. So when you try to log in one day, you just had to come up with a new password so that's kind of they don't know who did this yet and you kind of wrap this kind of discussion up they don't know who did it and if you were affected by this you're, you've probably already been told to change your password and they revoked any valid credentials um, for users that they think were impacted by this so moving right along andre we got this uh we got this article out of g hacks I'm not real familiar with that uh, organization, but it's basically saying your next phishing email. And there's kind of a theme here today with phishing emails, but it says your next phishing email may come straight from PayPal. What does that mean? Yeah, so essentially what hackers are doing, um, obviously PayPal is a
1: service where it's a legit company. uh, Companies use it to send out invoices, to get ACH payments and all of these things. So what hackers are basically doing is creating PayPal accounts and then now sending invoices to you in hopes that you believe it because it's actually coming from PayPal. So it can be something like Norton or McAfee, And what I've also seen is even domains where they know what your domain is. They know your abccompany.com and they'll send you a bill from PayPal and it's 14.99 for the year or whatever it is. And just hoping that it's such a small number that you don't go through your your steps of of asking your IT if it's legit or anything, and you just hit the pay button, and you know it doesn't go through any type of filters because again, it's it's a, le- a legit link. It's going back to PayPal. So um, hackers are apparently seeing that this is a great way to, um, like we said, the theme right now so far is being tricked. A lot of people are tricking, getting tricked into these things. So uh, my opinion on this is, you know, I think PayPal has to play their part. Um, if someone opens up a free account, and all of a sudden, they have thousands of, of customers, and and they're just sending out all these invoices. There's got to be some type of um, check system where you know, even for us, if we use PayPal or, or we use QuickBooks, we're probably just sending out 30 invoices a a, a month. So PayPal has to put this into play and kind of see if it's a new account. It's more than likely they're not going to have thousands of customers overnight. With with
3: I think this this also goes to the to the. Um... You know, need of process within a business. So, um, I had a client of mine had, a, had something similar where they they popped in and they they asked a question because it was something technology related. If, if we knew anything about it, we're like, no, this is this is a phishing scam. So, and what happens is is, is if you think about it, a lot of times with a a, a larger organization, uh, the person who's intaking these these invoices. Don't necessarily know everything that's going on in the business, so they may just see this invoice and assume it's legitimate. Um, to your point, because it's it's small enough where it's not worth that much, uh, you know, looking into, and then they just pay it, and and it's it's kind of like those those. Uh, skimming scams you see in movies where like you know that a couple of pennies or fractions of a penny go unnoticed you know these small bills go unnoticed but over time they add up quickly for the attackers so it's really good to have a process maybe a a situation where you've got an approved list of vendors that you use and and somebody has to check that off um and, and even going a step further with what types of services and what types of bills to expect from that that type of company
0: yeah a company doing a couple million dollars in revenue they get a bill for 500 bucks you know, okay, well, we got to pay this because it looked like it came from Norton. It's our antivirus, right? Yeah, big deal. It costs
3: it. me more time to go ask questions than it does if right.
0: to pay. It. Some some secretary has a credit card and she just bangs it out and pays the bill. And you know, four four ninety nine is nothing to them. You know, to the mm-hmm. business, but four ninety nine is probably a lot to the guy on the other end sitting in some third world country. You know, who just scored five hundred U.S. dollars. I got to imagine though, and this is kind of what I wanted. to, drop in on this with these free accounts i got to imagine that they hold that money like paypal does
3: like an escrow yeah
0: until it's somehow verified or i mean i can't imagine that they're letting people send out invoices get paid and then they're allowing that to be withdrawn to to a bank account Um, i don't know i'm just i'm just kind of pondering here and pontificating on whether or not that this is a legitimate, real thing that's happening, and yes, people uh, can lose the money, but do you know does PayPal eventually give it back because it's not actually getting to the end user?
2: In uh, both of those services, the invoices—I mean, obviously, we all know that about QuickBooks—but in PayPal, the invoices are uh, customizable, and so they could just send the invoice and then have a link and then say "click to pay" here and it not be going to PayPal. Oh, okay, I got just, it, okay. We use the PayPal to get under the radar. With got the it. 365 filters. Ah, uh,
0: okay, so in the notes, they're dropping like a I link could, yeah. to pay somewhere else. Okay, So I guess people should be aware of that. Like if you're getting something like this and it's redirecting you to a place that isn't PayPal or it's not your actual PayPal account, it's a page that looks like PayPal, but it's some weird domain or, you know, these are the things you need to look at and be aware of because, wow, I mean, they're, they're getting really uh, thoughtful and creative around these scans these days. I mean, you need easy. to be
3: hyper aware. You definitely need to be dotting your eyes and crossing your T's every step of the process.
0: I can imagine how bad this is going to get if we actually like go into a global recession because this, people are just going to focus more time and energy on these types of things. And it's only going to get worse um, with that. So Cool. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, ready. Cool. So, uh, I'm gonna start off with this one. This 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 article from Threat Post that we got um, really highlights and kind of bundles together a lot of things we've been talking about on the show so far. But this is wild. So, um, we got this Fisher swim around two FA and Coinbase account ice and. This kind of goes back to what I said earlier, where these guys are looking at situations and getting really creative on how to scam people and how to and how to actually exploit people. So, what they're doing is pretty interesting and, and at a couple of different levels. Typically, uh, when we see attacks like like this when users create fake websites and fake pages. Um, In the past, they really just kept them on one server, one domain, or maybe they had a bunch of different domains where they're still doing this from the same server or maybe same hosting company. Um, And they're keeping them there until basically somebody catches on that they're there and then they move somewhere else or, or, or whatever now we've now we're starting to see a new tactic which is pages that are being created and only staying alive on the internet for maybe a couple hours and then they're being shut down and then they're moving somewhere else the other interesting thing is that they've automated this process so when the phishing emails go out it's updating whatever the links in the phishing email are being updated with wherever the server is running at this hour Um, So they're constantly able to evade security researchers who are trying to figure out where is this stuff coming from so we can get IP addresses and and host names and potentially try to get these servers and these accounts shut down. With this tactic, that's no longer going to be a feasible defense. Like this whole market that these cybersecurity researchers have created – you know, getting really good at finding where this stuff is. I think of Marcus Hutchins, who was probably one of the most famous, you know, ethical hackers in, in the world, who was able to shut down WannaCry by doing similar things, like figuring out, hey, there's one server that this is all calling back to. And if we can shut this one server down, this whole virus goes away. Um, and this is, and that was probably what, guys, about 10 years ago. Want to cry, and so ten years later, now we have cyber criminals completely evading anybody being able to do that to them. So what they're doing is is they're sending you a phishing email. You're clicking on the phishing email. You're going to some website. Let's call it PayPal. It looks like PayPal. You're typing in your username and password. Bam! Now the cyber criminals have your username or password. They send you a fake two-factor link. You click on the two-factor link. You go to a page that looks like a two-factor number. You put in the two-factor number and boom, now they have your two-factor number. And if they can get it within that timeframe of when that thing expires, they're getting into your account. They're getting into your PayPal account. They have your username, they have your password, and they have a valid two-factor code that'll let them get in. And if they can get in quick enough and they can evade you realizing this, they can change your password. They can change your two-factor authentication, and now they've essentially taking over your account. So that's what's going on here with this this a phishing account takeover uh, in this article by Threatpost, and, and and this is how good these guys are getting at getting around this. So what you got for me, Randy?
2: Well, I just think it's really interesting the the mechanics here. What you're what you're talking about. Um, it looks like they're using a, a a domain for just a couple of hours. Um, and then they're also um, either anticipating or making note of the IP address. You know, probably they just put a put a pixel in the email, that way they know your IP address. And then the web page that they set up, which is only like two hours old, um, has conditional access. So if one of us tries to go to the website, we wouldn't even be able to see it because we don't have the IP that, that's been allowed. Um, and then, you know, then they're doing all this of, you know, you enter your password and username. They're logging in over there on, on the real site. You get a, a, a multi-factor token. A little fake page pops up, asks for that token that you just received. Boom, you enter it in. Boom, they enter it in over there. Um, it's pretty genius. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, gosh. And then and then going in and sending the money from your account to hundreds of accounts, Um just to make it hard to follow up on, hard to find who's doing it. Um, they're getting pretty good at covering their tracks. Uh, bottom line.
0: Yeah, I mean, dude, it, and what you just said there is like, like the 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 amount of effort that they're putting in into watching the behavior of people to figure out how they can further get around these things that we're putting in is is unbelievable. Like, it's just the amount of effort that these guys are putting into this shows you or at least tells me how lucrative this really is for them. I mean, the profit margins, once you scan somebody, have to be through the roof if they're willing to put in this much effort. I mean, guys, we know how to build this stuff. We know how to do this stuff. We know how to create these things and how this stuff all works. It's not like this stuff can be created without a lot of effort, like not only do you have to have people who evaluate the processes of all these companies and how they work and, you know, to make it look as real as possible, but you then have to technically build this stuff. And then, you know, it blows my mind that they looked at the security community and said, this is what, when we go down, this is what these security researchers are doing So we got to come up with ways to make sure that they can't find us. And that's essentially wiping out an entire skill set in our industry, which is people who do this for a living, who do security research and look for how traffic flows on the internet to go find people uh, or at least their server and where they're operating from. So they can call law enforcement or call Microsoft or call, GoDaddy and get them shut down. Um, and, you know, that can't happen anymore with what they're, what they've now implemented.
2: Yeah. The article we read just a little while ago, Twilio, that was one of the ways they were able to shut it down. They found out the server or servers and then just got them turned off and got the websites canceled and all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to do if you're just popping up for two hours. Um, and, and I'm not, it all and I'm not just
0: uh, talking about security researchers here, too. We're talking about the FBI and every other, you know, um, law enforcement authority around the world. These are the tactics that they use today to try to find people, you know, where they're operating from. When you start doing things like this, you're making it really hard. Plus, uh, Randy, I'm not even thinking about, like, they're probably doing all this behind Cloudflare, too. So you got another layer that you got to fucking deal with. So, Yeah. So anyone, anyone else have a comment? We're good. I'm, I'm just blown away by this guy's stuff, this, this stuff, guys. I mean, yeah. we do a good job on this show of staying ahead of the curve on what the hell's going on out there so we can make people aware. And we're not even scratching the surface. I mean, there's there's topics and there's areas of cybersecurity and vulnerabilities that we don't even go into and touch. Um, when you're talking about like hardware-based vulnerabilities that we know security researchers are aware of that haven't, you know, been discovered by black hatters and things like that yet. Um, this this stuff that we talk about on this podcast is very dynamic. It's, it's always changing, always flowing. That's why we think it's important to do, you know, a podcast like this every week. And my boy Randy wants to inform everybody how you can help the show grow and how you can help us spread the word, uh, that we're trying to evangelize to get people aware of this stuff. So what's our fee for the show, Randy?
2: Yeah. You know, we talk about our fee. I was thinking about this and, you know, there's a saying free as in speech, not as free as in beer. Well, this show we mean free as in beer, um, something that, that it's worth worth something that we're giving that's, refreshing or helpful or whatever that we're giving to you. Um, and we do give it out free. So the fee, if you will, is we ask that um, wherever you see this, if you like it, if you'll share it um, if you've got a friend or a coworker, family, family member that you can, you can share the podcast with, that would be great. Um, add a comment on it. When you comment on, on things and like things, it affects the algorithm and it's more likely for others, more likelihood of other people seeing it um, just like share, subscribe, um, get, help us get the word out. That's our, that's our fee.
0: Perfect. You said it so eloquently, Randy. I don't even want to say anything else <laughs> for the rest of the show. That was awesome. I love that. Good job. Um, find us everywhere guys. We'll we'll uh, we usually bring the articles up on the screen. I'm kind of changing things around a little bit to try to just figure out different ways and better ways for, for uh, us to post and and share different things that we talk about. So you'll find all the links to all the articles we talked about today in either the comments in social media or in the description on YouTube and the uh, podcasting platforms like iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify. Um, But that's it. We'll uh, see you guys all on the next episode next week. And stay safe out there, everyone. Take care.
1: See ya. See ya.